Well, good morning to you. Um, it is so good for us to experience life together as a church family, and we have several things that are on the horizon, but let me remind you, when you walk into 4th Street Crossing, that's this venue, um, you should receive a worship guide. It has my notes um, on the outline on one side, and on the other side is um, an opportunity to catch up what's on what's happening in our church family. And this is just, just the right size to hopefully fit into your Bible so that you can know what's coming up. But I do want to identify just two really important things that are coming up. First is Pentecost Sunday is next week. And we're doing something really significant all congregations and worship gatherings that are normally scattered on Sundays are all going to be in one place in our main sanctuary next Sunday. We will not be worshiping in here. We will be worshiping over there as a unified church family celebrating what Christ has done and will continue to do because of his death and resurrection. And so super excited about that. We're going to be experiencing and seeing some baptisms immediately following that Pentecost Sunday worship. And then we're going to invite you to stick around. We're going to have a food and fellowship. So we say, come worship, stay for lunch. Let's love one another. Let's exalt Jesus together on that special Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. Um, also, uh, as you leave today, you can pick up um, a sheet of paper that has all of the pictures of our senior graduates. We would love for you to take that with you today, and as the Lord prompts you to pray over our seniors over the course of the next year as they transition into this next season of their life of which we're celebrating today. So two major things, Pentecost Sunday's coming, and pick up the pictures, that sheet that has all of our graduates with their pictures on them so that you can be prompted to pray throughout this coming year. Well, if you don't know, uh, my name is Danny. I'm the preaching pastor here in Lagos. And if you're new with us today, I am super thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us. We don't want to take that for granted. We would love for you to let us know that you did worship with us today. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can do that right now. Even it's the simplest way to say, hey, Danny, I was here. And it gives us an opportunity to make a connection with you at a later time. Our mission is to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. That's our mission because we don't know of a better life than one in Jesus. We don't know of a more significant, more purposeful life than the one that he provides for us. And so that's a worthy mission statement for us to reorient all of our life as individuals and families and even together around Jesus and his ways and purpose for us, and then in this journey of life, all along the way, to say, will you follow this joyful, this joyful Jesus with me too? Will you embark on this journey of faith in Christ who gives purpose and meaning and everlasting life? That's our mission. We want to get better at it every single day. 
We also want to continue to encourage you to give through this church family. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give and fulfilling that mission statement. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we're so grateful for this time. Lord, we've honored these young men and women who are taking a new step in a journey and a new season in life. We've worshiped and exalt your son Jesus in song. We have read your scripture together. And now we ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see and feet to move as we receive from your word today. Help me, help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to read our all together scripture this morning. We're going to read all eight verses. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through, actually 3 through 8, not starting in verse 1, but in 3 through 8, let's read that together. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. You may be seated. Now, last week, we remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel after challenging the prophets of Baal, and then Ahab, before that, with the drought, challenging this God of the weather, God came through as a significant moment, maybe one of the greatest moments uh, in human history where we see God completely uh, evaporate that altar by bringing fire from heaven. God came through in a big way. It was a marvelous display of God's power and glory. And everyone on that mountain saw it, and most likely everyone else heard about it in a few days. And yet, and yet, Even still, the wise of the world and the powerful of the world at that time still rejected God and rejected Elijah, the prophet of God. Now, Jesus knew this kind of feeling all too well. You remember, there would be all day he would perform miracles and cast out demons and then he would go to another town and do the same and another town and do the same but every so often people would say would you just give us another sign and Jesus would say you want another sign 
Isn't the word of God enough? Isn't everything you've heard about what I've done and seen me do, isn't that enough? But it wasn't enough. They rejected Jesus still. Jesus knew that feeling that Elijah was feeling. Even today, we have our Stephen Hawking's of the world perhaps one of the most brilliant minds, he passed away several years ago, saying something like this, because there are laws such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going. God can unveil himself for all of us to see, even the most brilliant minds, the wise of the world, can gaze into the stars and put numbers and math to make sense of all that they see and come to the conclusion, God, when his power and glory is clearly on display for all to see, we live in a world, past and present, that rejects God, even though he is clear before him. Romans chapter one, Paul wrote, no man will have an excuse when he stands before God because God made everything known to them through creation that there is a God. But Elijah, Elijah could not fathom that, that after all that they had seen, you still could walk away from God and hold on to your idols? Uh, You still could walk away from that glorious display of God's power and majesty and still cling to your own Baal, which is an imaginary God? He couldn't fathom, fathom it. Of course, we know in Scripture, Jezebel puts a hit on Elijah in verse one of chapter 19, it says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Jezebel, even then, puts a hit on Elijah, and Elijah flees for his life. He travels all the way to the southern kingdom. Remember last week I said at this point the kingdom, the tribes of Israel were split in two. You had the northern kingdom where Ahab was king, the capital was Samaria. That's where Elijah did all of his work. And then you had the southern king Judah. Well, the scripture tells us in verse 3 that Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He travels multiple days um, into the southern kingdom, a city called Beersheba. Beersheba into Judah. The word of God tells us that Elijah is spent. He's had enough. Elijah has nothing left in the tank, not spiritually, not emotionally, not physically. He has laid it all out on the table, so to speak, especially on Mount Carmel. All out. And now we find Elijah afraid depressed, grief-stricken that his own people, after all of that. And Elijah can't see what's past this very moment. He can't see past it. He doesn't know what's coming next. And likely for Elijah, in his grief, his lowliness, he's experiencing some doubt. Lord, if, if after all of that, 
Maybe his faith is weak. And then we find God responding to Elijah in that moment of grief, depression, sadness, exhaustion, spentness, had enoughness. So there are three things in this text that teach us about how God responds to his people, not just individuals, but his church in these moments of great grief and sadness where you feel like you have laid it all out and you don't know where else to go, you find yourself low. What does God do? So one might expect that God would go something like this. Elijah, you're afraid after all of that? I can't believe that. Oh, you of little faith, you just need to get back up. You need to get back up and just pull yourself up from your bootstraps and get after it. I can't believe your faith is so weak and you doubt me so much. Some of us might expect that that God would, would judge Elijah for his weakness in this moment, his frailty, but he doesn't. I love that verse in verse five, that word, just that first word at the middle of verse five, it says, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree because he spent. Now remember, he gets to Beersheba, he drops off his servant, and he goes another day's journey into the desert. I mean, he is done. Doesn't know where else to go. And he finds a broom tree where there's shade and falls asleep. At the middle of verse five, I love this. The word is but. But. There's a whole lot in that word. And one of the things that screams out of that word is God's compassion for Elijah. God did not come and wake him up and say, I can't believe you. You faithless, weak prophet. What we do find is we discover God's incredible compassion. You know, we can feel that way too. We can feel like in those moments, incredible grief and sadness, we can feel like, oh, if I only had a, enough faith, if, if I had more faith, I wouldn't feel this way that I'm feeling right now. Uh, why can't I be more content and all the, the things that life throws my way? Why can't I just be strong and faithful in every single moment of my life? And when we feel that way, sometimes we attach shame to that, don't we? Gosh, if I, was, if I was only a better Christian, I wouldn't feel this way. Regardless of what comes. I mean, we read a scripture about these giants of faith, which Elijah's one of them. Gosh, if I could just be more like them. And we can beat ourselves up. But can I remind you today that God is a God of compassion. Life is not lived in the spiritual mountaintops, but in the trenches of real life. Mount Carmel was a moment, a powerful moment of an incredible display of God's power and glory that, that Elijah needed and the people certainly needed. 
But most of life is not lived in those mountaintop spiritual high moments, are they? But the reality, most of life is spent in the trenches where we're really tempted to struggle with faith and doubt and weakness and fear and what's gonna happen next? What am I gonna do then? I, Lord, I, I thought you were gonna answer my prayer. Some, we just don't, we find ourselves in those moments more often than we find ourselves on the mountaintop. Am I right? That's real life. And what we see in God's response here is God saying, Can I let you know, I know what real life is all about. I know you. I know your weakness. I know your frame. In fact, it says this in Psalm 103, 13 and 14. I love this. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Elijah had not lost his fear in the Lord. He just couldn't understand why they had lost their fear in the Lord after all that they had saw. Verse 14, he says, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Now, the value of verse 14 is that it dries verse 13. The Lord is tender and compassionate. He's like a father to his children because he knows how weak we are. He knows we're frail. And God knows Elijah's frailness and weakness and frame in this moment. And he doesn't come with judgment. Oh, ye of little faith. He has compassion. He has compassion. Hebrews 4.15, I love this. The high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. Jesus gets it. Jesus understands disappointment. He understands grief. Folks, it's okay not to be okay. Don't allow your lowliness, the days spent in the trenches, keep you from running to God. Shame will do that. Shame will beat you up and see, see how faithless you are? If you loved God more, you wouldn't have that kind of doubt. You wouldn't be grief-stricken. But don't allow your low moments in life to keep you from running to God all the same. Listen, even Paul had to learn to be content. Philippians 4.11, he's talking about his own imprisonment. And he says, folks, don't worry about me because I have learned to be content in all things. Paul had to learn it. Whether I'm rich or poor, hungry or full. We do too. So don't beat yourself up when it is not okay in that trench that you are in. God is compassionate towards you. The other thing that we see in that word, but, I love this, let me finish that. But as he was sleeping, but as he was sleeping, God is not only compassionate in the lowest moments of our life, when we're living life in the trenches, but God is at work. Now listen, Elijah physically was exhausted. He was hungry. Emotionally, he was done. 
didn't know where else to go, and he needed to sleep. He sleeps under the tree, but as he was sleeping. What a great reminder that God is working. When Elijah was out, God was working for his good. We need that. God was working to meet his most basic needs, his next sets, set steps, and he was fitting it all together. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. You know this verse, that God works all things together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Elijah is called according to the purpose of God. And so while Elijah's knocked out from exhaustion, God's at work. Fitting it all together, working to meet his most basic needs, his next assignment, his next steps. God is putting it all together. I was reminded of this kind of working of God behind the scenes. I was in Poland uh, two weeks ago, and I met this young man. He was a graduate student in one of the universities in Krakow, Poland, and he'd only been a believer a little over a year long, but he told me he grew up uh, in uh, Krakow is, is a, a very, most of it's a Catholic church, but he didn't really hear and understand the gospel growing up in that church. And, but he always knew, he always knew he was missing something. And so he's always on the search his whole life for this something that he was missing. And so he said, you know, I went to college and I, a friend of mine in, invited me to go to this gathering of students, this Christian ministry thing called Crew. And I went there and I met the leader and the leader invited me for coffee and I went and had coffee with the leader and the, the, the leader opened up the Bible and he read to me Romans 6.23. And in that moment, Camille said, I knew that what I've been longing for the whole time was in that verse. Now here's the point, is that it was clear that God was at work behind the scenes the whole time in Camille's life. When Camille was searching, when Camille was sleeping, when Camille was eating, when Camille was doing his own thing, not even thinking about what God necessarily was doing, God was working to fit everything together for that moment that he would read that verse of scripture and see Jesus' redemption through his death and resurrection. In the same way, God is working in, behind the scenes, even in, especially in when we find ourselves in our lowest moments of life, like Elijah. God is at work. I want you to know that God is working when you have nothing left. When you have nothing left to give, no next steps, you don't know what to do, it could be any number of things. It could be an illness. It could be a loss of job. It could be loss of a friendship. It could, it could be a host of things. That, um, incredible disappointment, whether spiritual or otherwise, God is at work when you're sleeping behind the scenes. And the promise of God is that he is working it out Psalm 121, I love this psalm. I imagine 
I kind of imagine Elijah thinking this. I look up to the mountain. Does my help come from there? My help comes to the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who watches, watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as a protective shade underneath that broom tree. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever and he never sleeps. He's always at work. We also find that God is Elijah's provider. He's Elijah's provision for what's next. So how does God provide for him? He wakes up from taking that nap. I imagine he slept for hours. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. I know what you need. Your body needs food. Elijah, he looked up, and there beside his head was some bread baked in hot stones and a jar of water. God provided for him. So he ate and drank, and he went back to bed, went back to sleep. And he's, he's done. The Lord knows that. Verse 7, then the angel Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. I will give you enough for the journey that I have ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength, enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There are three things that God provides in these next moments in Elijah's life uh, and next days, part of which we're not going to get to. He eventually gives Elijah another assignment to speak to different kings and to prophesy um, over them. Um, but I just want to identify quick three things. The first is the most obvious, that God meets his most basic need in that moment of exhaustion. He provides food and water. God cares about your basic needs, folks. What did Jesus say? Listen, if, if God takes care of the birds and the flowers, don't get caught up exhausting your energy over those things like the rest of the world does. That's what Jesus says. But seek God's kingdom. He'll help you meet all the rest. God, Because God cares about our basic needs. He provides and meets Elijah's basic need, food and water. But he also provides Elijah a reminder, which we'll get to in a moment, and again, that new assignment. New assignment. So quickly, Elijah wakes up to warm bread and water. He drinks, eats. He still needs some more rest. He goes back to sleep. He wakes up and has more, and God provides enough for Elijah for his next step of the journey. God provides him enough for the journey ahead and his next assignment, what happens to be 40 days and 40 nights in the desert on his way to Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai. That's a long journey. And here's where the reminder comes in. Does that number 40 sound familiar to you? 40 days in the desert? Where else have we heard that before? How long were the people of Israel in the desert? 
40 years. And we see that pattern also in the New Testament. Jesus was 40 days in the desert. Anytime you see that in the scriptures, God's up to something. When you start to see patterns that are repeated in the Old Testament, then you see them repeated in the New Testament, that means God has a story that he's painting for us that, that covers the whole Bible. And not to mention, why is Mount Sinai important? Who met with God on Mount Sinai? Moses did. And what did he receive from God on Mount Sinai? He received the law and the covenant between himself and the people. I think, this is really just an opinion, but I think this is what this pattern's telling us. I think God says, I'm gonna give you enough food. Uh, I'm gonna take care of your body because you have a journey ahead of you and in this journey, I'm gonna remind you of the promises that I've made to these people. When they wandered for 40 years in the desert, did I not meet every single need that they have? I did. I didn't forget about them, even when they grumbled and complained along the way. And when I was on that mountaintop, Mount Sinai, where he's going, what was the promise that I made to Moses? That you will be my people. And I will provide for you and protect you. And even when they were faithless, God said, I will remain faithful. Now, this was important for Elijah because he didn't know God's next steps. He thought, man, I can't imagine the people of God saw the might and power on Mount Carmel and have still rejected God for the most part. Yeah, their heads were turned for a few days, but they ended up following Jezebel all over again. But Elijah needed to be reminded that, listen, you don't see the next steps and how I'm going to work it out, but can I tell you that I am their God and I will not let them go. It looks like they have forgotten me, but I will bring them back. You don't see the next steps, but I see the next steps in the life of my people. What a powerful reminder of God saying to Elijah, I'm not done. You don't see it, but I'm not done with my people. God's provision, meeting our need, giving us enough, including powerful reminders. That's not just true for Elijah, but it's it's true for us that God has provided us, both individuals and the church, He's provided us his word. Now, there are different places in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that talks about God's word and how it nourishes us. I just wanna draw your attention to two. Matthew 4, three through four. This is what Jesus says when um, he's in the desert for those 40 days. He says, listen, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I know I'm going from very physical to metaphysical here. God does care for our basic needs. 
Uh, he knows that we can get exhausted and anxious and fearful. and He wants to meet those needs. Um, but Jesus said in the temptation in the desert that I need nourishment from God's word because God, a man does not live by bread alone, but, but from the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm convinced that in our loathiest moments, when we find ourselves in the trenches, that our greatest nourishment need is God's promises in his word. And for some of us, when we wake up, the word of God is right next to us, just like those hot loaves of bread and flasks of water. If you need nourishment in the trenches of life. Don't neglect the word of God. Here's another thing. John chapter four, verses 32 through 34. This is, this is the incredible story of woman at the well with Jesus. But while his disciples are off in town getting something to eat, Jesus is not eating anything at all. So they know Jesus is hungry. Verse 32, this is after the disciples ask, have you had anything to eat yet? You need to eat. And he says this, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Verse 34, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So Jesus says, you know how I get nourished from God is by doing what God's asked me to do. By obeying God. Even the most challenging moments in life. Now, so these are two powerful truths for us. When we hit real life, when we're done, when we're spent, and all we can do is feel like, I just gotta crash, I need more energy, I need, to, I need to get beyond this fear and anxiety that I'm facing, Jesus says to us, will you go to the promises of God in his word, even just a little morsel, and when you don't know the next steps that are before you, regardless of what you're facing, will you be fed by doing what God, you know what God has asked you to do? For some of you, it might just be serving your family or a friend. For some of you, it might be forgiving somebody. For some of you, just, just being a, learning how to be a servant. Take up ministry in that moment. Now, you're, you're thinking to me, well, Danny, at that moment, I'm depleted. I have nothing else to give. But the, according to Jesus, he says, my food is to do what God has commanded me to do. I get energy I get nourishment by saying yes, even in the most challenging moments in life. Do we believe Jesus? Go to God's word, and even in the smallest way, do what he's asked you to do when you feel like you have nothing left, and he will nourish your soul. We may want our next Mount Carmel moment to feed our soul when God has faithfully provided enough along the way. It's there, God's word, acting in obedience for the things we know he's called us to do. We might not know 10 steps down the road, but we might know what he asked us to do 
yesterday. Will you do that? Lastly, our greatest reminder, even in the most challenging moments in life, is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, listen, you're gonna have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Right? And we as believers on this side of Jesus, we can hold on to, regardless of what we're facing, we can know that Jesus has overcome the world. He might not heal me in this moment. He might not provide everything on my agenda right now, but he has his agenda, and he's going to finish what he started. That's Philippians chapter one that we just read over our graduates, that he is gonna finish what he started, and we're gonna rise from the grave, and he's gonna make us whole and complete, lacking in nothing. And he who did not even spare his own son, how much more will he give us all things? Be reminded that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the victory is won, even though you can't see past it in the moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Elijah, of God's compassion, his work, and his provision. Lord, help us to know the same. Help us to trust that you are a compassionate God. Help us to believe and trust that you are work behind the scenes, fitting everything together, and help us to be nourished by your word, the promises that you give us, and to be faithful in the doing of it, and that we find restoration and renewed energy to face what comes tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. We're gonna transition into a time. Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support. We need your prayers and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today.